listening to First Church Charlotte. I love being with people of faith. I love being with people who are slightly cooler than me. And uh, all of you are slightly cooler than me. And so that cheers me up quite a lot. Uh, I want to get right into the word tonight, but I want to uh, do real quick. I want to remind um, all of you of um, what we are trying to do um, in this in this year. And I, I want to tell it as a personal testimony. My personal theme for this year is to speak faith into every context of my life. That's my personal theme. I'd like to invite you to join me and find your way of doing that. Uh, but we are, we are, uh, we are commanded as it were to speak faith, to speak the promises of God. Not even God does something simply within the space of his mind. Even God speaks. And so how much more should we be speaking? <laughs> and so I want to I want to invite all of you to join me and let's let this year 2020 be a year of of, of speaking faith. Uh, that means every fear that you face should be approached differently. That means every struggle in your life you should you should maybe approach it a little bit differently. Uh, I'm going to teach tonight from this subject, Jesus follower. Yes, there is a question mark on the end of that, Jesus follower. And I am going to uh, do something maybe a little bit different. I'm going to try to um, answer this question in a manner that I, I feel like is fair to the subject. This is a rather, a rather important subject that we are we are talking about. Let me read one one passage uh, for you. You can remain seated. Just just listen, and I will I will share this with you. Uh, I'm going to read in. Well, my Bible app wants me to give it feedback. Here I am trying to talk about the goodness of the Lord, and it says, "Do you like this app?" I say no because I don't have time to answer it. It says we want to know more from you. Uh, what don't you like about it? And so if you all give me a, a moment, I'm going to type in here because you interrupt me while I'm trying to speak before people. <laughs> Luke chapter number six, and I'm going to read one verse uh, together. Uh, you can just uh, listen in on this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, and this is Jesus talking about disciples, teachers, disciples, uh, and discipleship. Verse 39, and Jesus spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will, not, will, will they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like, somebody say like, like his teacher. So um, if we go, if we get past all of the, uh, shall we say, social constructions of what it means to be Christian in our generation and in our time, we're left with this question, what do you mean when you say that you are a Christian? Or what do you mean when you say you want to be a Christian? Uh, I was listening to some agnostic uh, guys talk and they said they were talking about the subject of Christianity and and I often listen carefully when unbelievers or agnostics or even atheists speak uh, because I I want to if there's any way for me to understand I feel like I have a much better opportunity I'm better prepared to enter into their discussion and turn it 
toward faith. I feel like that's a, a challenge of our generation. I think all of us have to think more about that because there's so many uh, figures, shall we say, in social life now that are open, openly speaking against faith. And so uh, one of them said to the other, and I don't know if he know, knew it or not, but he was quoting the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, and uh, he said this to the other one. He said, well, there was really only ever one Christian, and they killed him. There was really only ever one Christian, and they killed him. Now, I understand exactly what they mean, and I want to say humbly, I'm not, I don't, I don't really disagree. <laughs> if you want to take it to that level, uh, there, is, there, there, there is only the incomparable Christ. So, say this with me. Say, there's nobody like him. Come on, I want to say it again. There's nobody like him. Turn and make eye contact with somebody and say, there's nobody like Jesus. This is, this is absolutely true. And although I might try as sincerely as I can, I'm never going to uh, be like Jesus. Um, I, I, however, have been so impressed by what his life has represented that I think the highest good for me would be to try to learn from him and as best as I can to follow in his path. Uh, I think that's what it really means to be a, to be a Christian. Um, it's not that we are like Jesus because... Look, I know you guys, and none of you are really surprising me by being too much like Jesus. <laughs> that was funny. That uh, was totally good humor right there. And so um, I know that most of you know me, and there's just not a lot of risk that you're just going to say, man, Pastor Nate, he's just, he's just too much like Jesus. I, I don't even know what he's doing down here still. That, that's not a big problem here at First Church. We are a church of imperfect people who are in love with this one who represents all that is perfection. Uh, we have beheld the beauty of the Lord. I, I want to I say that again slower. We have beheld the beauty of the Lord. He has demonstrated what divinity means by, by paying our debts and loving us while we were deeply, profoundly unlovable. And that act of grace has so impacted us that we want, to the best of our ability, to honor it by letting it be the guiding star, the guiding, the guiding constellation, the guiding theme in our life. Uh, to be a disciple literally means, and I guess I should say that I, I didn't have notes for you tonight. Um, I, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Today I, I didn't have time, so y'all talk bad about me later. A, a disciple literally means a learner. Now, this is the Vines Expository Dictionary. Um, it literally means one who follows another's teaching. One who follows another's, another's teaching. Uh, to be a disciple, however, is not just to be a learner. It is to be an ad 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 adherent, to, to follow in the worldview, to follow the, the values, to to live your life in accordance with this man, Jesus Christ. And uh, we can't simply be knowledgeable. We must be, as best as we can, imitators of Jesus Christ. And so that is why I read this passage here in the parable that Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like 
his teacher. Now, full disclosure, that scares me because I'm a long way from being like Jesus. Uh, I, I, I want to do better. I feel like I have done better as I have, I have got more maturity and as I, some of the, 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 the insecurities and fears and uh, fleshing, just sheer fleshiness, fleshliness of, of life has, has in some way uh, diminished, and I, I, I feel like I've made progress. I want to say that. But when I think about how far I have to go, uh, it's, it can be a little bit intimidating, and um, I can almost feel like, why am I trying here? There's no risk of me ever being like Jesus. I, I want to talk. I, I literally want to go to foundations here tonight, because what does it mean when we say we are a Jesus follower? That has to mean something. So one more time, turn to somebody make eye, can, eye contact and say to them across, across the space, say, I'm not playing games. I really want to be a Jesus follower. Find somebody, point your finger if it'll make you feel more proper. Say, I'm not playing games. Come on, say it with me. I'm not playing games. I really want to be a Jesus follower. I'm not going through emotion. Tradition can't save me. My cousin can't save me. I'm glad my mama was religious. My mama was not very religious, but some of your mamas was very, that's funny right there. My mama was so saved, she made angels feel insecure. That's honest, full disclosure there. They were like, oh Lord, y'all act humble. Here comes Sister Linda. (laughs) Angels don't call you Sister Elms. That's just, you know, we're made a little lower than the angels, just so. I want to get in trouble. Sorry, I better move on. Let me get back to picking on my wife. So uh, <laughs> I have the best women in my life. I just want everyone to know that. My wife, my mom, I have the best women in my life. <clears throat> and don't forget my daughter. She's one of them women's trying to take over the world. So we, it's not enough for us to be religious. Now, there's a lot of talk about this. Um, uh, I, I, I probably, if, I'm, if, if the Lord allows me, I, I'm actually going to uh, preach about this a little bit Sunday uh, as a way of trying to end up, um, end up the series I've been doing on uh, You Are Invited. Uh, Jesus is not, being a Jesus follower is, is not so much being religious. That, that is, that in many ways misses the point of the life that Jesus lived and the victory of the cross which allowed us. It it wasn't about becoming proper. It it was about us becoming holy. Now, how did that happen? It happened because Christ took on all, all of our sins and became through sacrificial, redemptive covering our righteousness. And then what happened? We're able to be in the presence of God. That's how we received the promise that was made to the fathers. And they, they lived in faith. They did everything right. But they died not having received the promise. Why? There was no covering for their sins. But we have been made to be holy through Christ's sacrifice. That means you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That means you can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You I might even preach a little bit here tonight. You can become the temple of the Holy Ghost. All right, so if we are going to be a real Jesus follower, if, if we're going to take this seriously, we can't simply do it in a traditional way or we're doing it unseriously. 
Uh, We have to do it, first of all, relationally. We have to do it intentionally. Nobody accidentally becomes more like Jesus. I I was just riding along and I realized I was better than I thought I was. And so I upgraded my holiness score. That's not how it works. It's relational. It is intentional. It is scriptural. It is by humbling ourselves and it is with persistence. You're not going to get there quick. Now, I, at some point, maybe next Wednesday night, I'm going to talk about uh, faith versus works and how both of them fit together in an offering of what we can do and what we could never do, okay? But I want, I don't want anyone to think that it's something that, that this work of becoming a Jesus follower is only acknowledging what he has done. No, he has invited us to do us to, and live a certain kind of life and walk in a certain kind of way. So these things are knit together. But the Lord, error happens when we think our works can do something only God can do. And error happens when we say God has to do what he has empowered you to do. Do you see? All right, I want to deal with that another time. So um, Jesus said, th- th- what is the goals of, 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 of being a real Jesus follower? Let's, let's look at Jesus' words. We've already read Luke uh, chapter 6 and verse number 40, uh, to be like your teacher, to the, the, the disciple is not greater than his master, but if he's perfectly trained, he will be like his teacher. That's number one. We're striving to be like Jesus. This is confirmed in the uh, systematic teaching of the epistles. I think Paul says it best in uh, Romans 8 verse 29 when he says that in the redemption of mankind, we are conformed into the image of his son. Do you see? We become, through the work of the cross, we become like, we be, we're conformed to the image of his son. And so if we have, if we have this desire, not, not just to be traditionally um, proper or not even, and there's nothing wrong with that, it's just not enough. Um, not even to be kind of like culturally labeled, oh, they're a Christian. Um, that, that's, that's, that's good, but that's not enough. Um, any of these things uh, are important. The, the, the life we live is important. Remember, when Peter wanted to be, when he wanted the crowd to stop thinking of him as a Jesus follower, he just cussed everybody out. That's what happens when you cuss everybody out. Can I have an Amen. People just, oh, oh, he's probably not a Jesus follower. <laughs> so um, you understand. So uh, there is these ways of living and, and we do things and the world responds. That's not wrong in itself. It's not, it's just not enough. I'll give you the example. My, my wife drives so bad, I put an elevation sticker on the back of our car. <laughs> That's good comedy right there. I don't care what you say right there. We're on a road. She's like telling this person off, cutting in front of that one. I'm like, honey, I'm putting an elevation sticker on this car. That's just, <laughs> I told you I was going to use that. I told you I did. We have a, we, we, we cut up all the time. And so whenever I, I, I get, I shoot and get a three pointer, I'm like, oh, the church has got to hear that one right there. So the marks, what, if Jesus is going to speak the marks of a disciple, what does that mean? Let's lay aside all the stuff we think we know, because there's people who will tell you uh, that if you don't say just because this is political time, so let's just use that. If you don't vote Republican, you're not a Christian. There's people who will say, well, if you don't vote Democrat, you don't love the poor and Jesus loved the poor. 
There are people who say, if you don't support this, then you're not a Christian. There's people, everybody is recruiting for something, and they're saying, if you don't do this, then you're not a Christian. Well, okay, let's just slow our roll here for a moment, and what does the Bible literally say? So the first scripture that we would read would be uh, John 8 and 31, and Jesus tells them that if they would be his disciples, they would abide in his words. Okay, so number one, a disciple is one, remember this is Jesus defining it himself, is one who abides in Jesus' word. So the second thing is that this individual would be a doer of those words, not a hearer only. In other words, their philosophy, their faith would mean something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Your faith would mean something. It wouldn't just be something you espouse, but it would mean something. Uh, You would not just be a hearer of the words. You can read this in Matthew chapter 7, also um, in uh, John chapter number number 1. This this true follower of Jesus would abide in Jesus' words, and they would be a doer of those words. So really quickly, I want to uh, give you a quick review of some of the most notable and stirring words of Jesus. Because if we're going to be disciples, we need to abide in these words. We can't just say, oh, I'm a Christian because I support this party, or I'm a Christian. We, we have to look at the, 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 the quotes of Jesus. Now, I, I, don't, I don't have time, of course, to read them all. That would, that would take a little while. Um, but I'm going to give you some of the big ones. And I I want you to think about these, these things and think about how you are implementing them in your life. Uh, probably his, one of his most famous quotes is this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can I have it? amen? It's Matthew 14 and 6. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. Matthew 6 and 33. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, verses 16. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open Matthew 7 verses 7 and 8 love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments Matthew 22 verses 37 to to 40. Uh, how about this one? This is Matthew 12, verse 50. For whoever does the will of God in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Can we live as though our brothers are our real family, the closest people in our, our walk and the closest people to understand how we live? How about Mark chapter 10, verse 44? And whoever wants to be the first must be servant of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. But Matthew 23 and 12, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How about 
Matthew 4 and 19. Come, follow me, Jesus says. I will make you I will make you fishers of men. How about Mark 11 and 24? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. How about Matthew 6 and 31? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Are we abiding in these words, or is this just part of a religious formula? We kind of mutter whenever we get around to... Uh, the right, the right context. Matthew five and ten: Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How about Matthew eighteen verse twelve? What do you think if a man own, owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away? Will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety and nine that did not wander off. In the same way. Your father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God's not happy with a 99% success rate. If there's one lost person, he is looking for them. The church has to abide in those words. Jesus isn't just asking us to show up and be religious. He's given us literal word from the heart of God, literal language of how God is in his being and how he would communicate that righteousness and holiness and savior heart of God to all of us. John 4 verse 13, Jesus answered, anyone who, anyone who drinks this water shall be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 10 verses 10 and 11, the thief comes only to steal and to kill. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. How about Matthew 19 and 14? Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as thee. And we'll end with this one, although there's still a long, beautiful way to go. Mark 8 verse number 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Notice he doesn't just say this to the disciples. He says it to the crowd. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And on and on and on and on and on. When we stand before God, these words are going to be the standard, the plumb line against the choices of our life um, that are a country contrasted in some way against the choices of our life. And this is not going to be a judgment of, of, of salvation. There, there is a judgment of salvation uh, that is uh, shown in the scripture, um, but that is not what you're going to accomplish by any works of your flesh. That's going to be Christ's accomplishment, lest any of us would boast. Uh, it's New Testament theology. 
However, there is also a a, a winnowing of our life, um, a judgment of our works in this body that's not salvational, but is very much about the rewards of God, the rewards of heaven, and the rewards of eternal life to all of us who have sought We who have been redeemed now offer our life and our choices. And that makes me want to do better. That makes me want to do better. It's not something that you should receive in fear in the sense of, oh, I'm going to be lost. No, 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 no. That's not what we're talking about. Christ is able to keep that which is in his hand. He started a work in you. He's going to present you faultless before the throne of his glory with exceeding joy. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the difference we could have made if we had abided in his words. Do you see? We're talking about something else. You see, I'm confused. It's okay. Lots of people are. I'm often one of them. <laughs> so what are the marks? We talked about someone who abides in Jesus' words. Secondly, someone who is a doer of Jesus' words. Now that is exactly from Jesus' mouth. And the reference there is John 8 and 31. Also uh, Matthew 7 and 21 and John 1 and 21. I believe that's John. I messed my notes up there. Um, in view of all of this, uh, a true disciple is somebody who's hungry to consider the words of God. The words of Jesus. They're hungry to apply them in their life. And here is the shocking thing. Jesus will not interpret his words for you. He will give them to you and you will weigh them and you will interpret them and you will figure out what is next. This is the hardest thing. The lack of divine formula. This gets into the faith works issue. We don't have time for that tonight because I'm going to stay very disciplined or my wife's going to get me. So we're going to be right on track. I want you to see, however, that we are given these words, but just like the disciples, we want to call Jesus away and say, um, okay, I heard you talking <laughs> and you said a lot of stuff and whoa, it was heavy and I, I don't know exactly what, uh, can you explain that to us? And oftentimes we're left with these profound insights that are eternal in their nature and eternal in their depth and we can feel them as though we stood upon a seashore and the whole horizon is filled with endless miles and endless cubic miles of water and we stand there feeling very small and very small and we say here is here is something much bigger than me i i i, I am overwhelmed by the ocean in front of me and the ocean above and the ground beneath me and i don't know where to start So it is with all of the words of Jesus Christ. And yet, to be a follower of Jesus is to take these words and abide in them. Build your house in these words. Now, let me me just give my own testimony. These words are never, how shall I say, they never run dry. Um, If you build inside these words as though think of these words of Christ as 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 shelter and you build your life in there in your teenage years and you're trying to serve God in a, a school like I grew up and went to a public school for most of my life and I didn't have there was other Christians there but we, we you know I, I didn't have a sense of that so much I uh, and, and 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 then you you know you in that phase of your life in that arena of your life those words will mean something to you but when you get to the next stage of your life, those words will not have been extinguished. 
They may have changed in the depth of their riches for you. And in your 30s, in the middle years, you know, and the stress of those middle years, those words will not have gone dry. We must abide in these words and we must sincerely be a doer of them, asking what we would do to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I have a big amen? Amen. All right. The next thing Jesus says that are the marks of a disciple uh, is a disciple is one who has an ability to love the, the brethren. They have ability to love other people. Um, Jesus will say this in John 13. Uh, you love one another as I have loved you. Um, this has some connotations and some consequences. Uh, Jesus, he chose he chose. Flawed people that we know from the beginning were flawed, and he, he chooses them and he loves them. Isn't it interesting that the one person that was untrustworthy is the person Jesus put in a place of trust? And so Judas, who if we, you know, we know from the scripture that he had this, this heart problem from the beginning. Uh, one writer says he had a devil in him from the beginning. Jesus, he's the one person Jesus couldn't trust. The one person Jesus doesn't trust. And what does Jesus do? He chooses him and he puts him in a place of trust. Here, handle the money. This is the savior heart of God. God is not making a mistake. Somebody please get this. God is not making a mistake. He's not there saying, whoopsie, I wish I would have known what Judas was. He knew Judas' heart from the beginning. He knew there was only one disciple he couldn't trust. And he looked at him and said, here, you handle the money. This is the heart of God. This is the redeemer heart of God. This is the savior heart of God. And he tells his disciples, look, if you have love one to another, you'll be known as my disciples. And he says this in the same passage, if you can love one another as I have loved you, that means uh, Judas receives the love of God. He knows he can't trust him. He knows what the future holds and he opens himself for all of the pain and all of the rejection. Uh, He knows that Peter has a temper problem and he makes a place for Peter. He knows that, that, that Matthew's a tax collector and Matthew is a shameful person and brings nothing to the table and he chooses Matthew. He knows everybody's, uh, dirt. He knows everybody's skeleton filled closets. Simon, the zealot, how did he get the name zealot? It wasn't for his zeal in serving the Lord. It was because he, was, he had been a rebel against uh, Rome. He probably had, of course, they didn't have biometrics back then, but if they probably could have figured out who he was, if they'd have been able to get his fingerprints, he would have undoubtedly been a criminal, a violent man. How else would you get the title of zealot? You did something bad to somebody who you didn't like. Now, that's a zealot. <laughs> He, had, he didn't get that from being zealous about serving the Lord. There's not one explanation of zeal in the whole Gospels. He got that from the time before. And he was probably the only one who had a sort of reputation of the disciples. And Jesus showed love to him. And this theme will be repeated in the New Testament. In fact, the Apostle John, the last written, sanctified, holy scripture in the canon, will make a big, and I I teach this every month in First Steps, he'll make this big statement that Christ loved us and we, uh, we love one another. Why? Because when we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. We can't pay Christ back for his love, so we pay that love forward by loving flawed people. But you don't know what they said. I probably do. We should love them. You see, we can't love him enough 
No man, this is John's point. No man has seen God. You can't say I love God if you can't pay this so-called love forward and love somebody else. All right, let me move along. So this is the, another mark. So the first one, this is Jesus' definition. Abide in his words, be a doer of his words, and also manifest love uh, one to another in the same manner he did. Uh, the next sign of a, of a disciple is one who bears much fruit. This is John 15, uh, verse number eight. Um, Jesus is not, uh, this is just my thoughts. Jesus is not, it's not so much an occasional good deed. It's, it's a way of living. Um, it's, it's to bear much fruit. That's, that's not simply, oh, I do something nice. I, I've orchestrated my life to, to bear the fruits that manifest the values of the kingdom of heaven. So uh, these are the standards. So these are the biblical standards from the mouth of Jesus. I'm glad your cousin has opinions, but let's go with what Jesus said, okay? Um, these, are the, these are the marks. Teachings, you have a passion for the words and the teaching of Jesus Christ. You try to abide in those words. You try to do those words. Secondly, you have a, a deep desire and longing to manifest the love of God to others. You have a sense of your unworthiness of love and God's demonstrated love toward you and the least you can do is pass it forward. You have this desire to love uh, the, the people uh, of God and third, you bear fruit to the glory of God. So let me, uh, let me talk about the cost. What does this mean? Again, we're gonna use the words of Jesus and uh, The first thing that comes to mind is from Luke 14, verse number 26. Uh, Jesus must come first before anything else, even even our families. Now, this doesn't mean that we have a right to abandon or mistreat in any way our families. The interesting thing is this. By putting God first makes you better at all your family relationships. It doesn't... So the person who... The person who... uh, I'll never forget one of the first disagreements I had. I actually, I actually had, I've had this disagreement twice with people who called me pastor. I don't know if I really was their pastor, but they called me pastor. And uh, one of them received it and um, the other one didn't. But they both got mad at me and went to the same church. So here's the disagreement. God told me I should abandon my children. They're not doing right. They're living in sin. I should abandon them. God told me. And I said to both of them, one of them received them, one of them didn't. They both got mad. They both left. I'm going to start telling you to go ahead and leave your children. I don't care. What do I care? Leave them, suckers. Send them to me. We'll raise them. (laughs) That God had told them to cut off relations with their children. And um, I disagreed. I, 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 I just profoundly, and I, I could not be silent. No, putting God first does not make you worse. It makes you better. The difference is that the part of, the, the, the difference, I would say it like this. Let me try to say this precisely. Is by putting him first, it may at sometimes inconvenience them if they wanted something from you that you could not give. But what you actually could give to them, having put Jesus first, is ever so much more valuable than whatever you were unable to give from them. 
Does that make sense? Um, and so I, I disagree. I said, no, I, I honestly, I, I know you may feel that way. And I, of course, I tried to speak gently. It's my personality. And I, I said, I, I just don't think that's right. I, I don't think that, that the Lord's telling you, you to do this. I think that's probably uh, a frustration telling you to do that, not, not the Lord. Um, and when I, when I look at the fruit of the Spirit in our life, I read things like long-suffering, kindness, goodness, mercy. That just, none, nowhere in there does it say there, after the fourth time, cut them suckers off. I, I just, I don't see that anywhere in there, and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I really think you should let them nail you to this cross. Well, they didn't like that. Anyway, moving along, God bless them. Um, Putting God first will cost us something. But the idea that it is a free pass to abandon our family, abandon our covenants, or in some way not fulfill our obligations is the wrong interpretation in this preacher's opinion of how we manifest the heart of God to our generation, to our our family. Jesus must come first before our family, yes, but the consequence of that is not that we're worse at family. We can actually be better at family. And secondly, Jesus must come first even before ourselves, Luke 9, verses 23 to 25. Number two, you need to be willing to suffer for your beliefs. This is Luke 14, verse 27. Uh, trying to live a godly life in a godly world will involve sometimes ridicule. However, I want to say here in America, we do not know what real per- persecution looks like. We don't need to try to dramatize ourselves and act like we've suffered. We have not suffered. We have been blessed. We have been exalted by God. It is to our everlasting joy that we have been able to have the just slights uh, as some type of a suffering among us. You are blessed abundantly. If someone made fun of you, honey, they're going to make fed. If they weren't making fun of you over that, they'd have picked something else. Don't blame Jesus over that. <laughs> is that okay? Well, I guess, I guess it's going to have to be. Um, however, there must be a willingness in our heart. If you took everything from me, I still would not give up my faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to point out something here that to me is very interesting. And to me, it has, it has deep uh, consequences in how the church should feel and how our churches should, um, what, it, what, it should, what our church culture should feel like. But of course, there's varying opinions. This is just, to me, it has profound implications then that is this, that is this, that for most of the first two, the first century of uh, the church, there was not a, a clear systematic doctrine where people understood how it all fit together. Understanding was coming as people like the Apostle Paul and also the author of the book of Hebrews, which may have been Paul. Um, I, I, let me just, let's see, I have three minutes. Uh, no, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take five minutes. So uh, <laughs> um, I often thought that um, in my early years of study, I thought that Paul was the author of the book of Hebrews. And then after, after in kind of like the last few years, I thought he couldn't be because if you read them, and I love the book of Hebrews, if you read them, they just sound so different. But then I recently, I recently had this idea, and I, I, this is not, this is not of God. This is all of Nathan right here, okay? This is pure, pure suspicion, okay? Imagine Paul thinking how he could reach the Jews. The first thing he would have to do, watch this, is hide his identity. 
And so that may be why is he's not writing things like, you tell Bubba I said hello, and you tell Sally Mae I said good nachos at the last small group. He totally, if he's the author, he totally hid his identity and wrote it in the rhetoric style of uh, the Greek the Greek uh, rhetoricians, um, it, which to me, anyway, I'm nerding out. Sorry, let me keep going here. <laughs> Jesus must come first. We must be willing to suffer for Christ. The New Testament church, they did not necessarily have the bounty of understanding that we have. They didn't have the, all the letters of Paul, and they didn't have all that. That would all come in time. And, and really, uh, there wasn't even this kind of apostolic understanding until the Reformation, when the Scripture once, once more came available. So the one thing that all of these centuries of Christians had is they had this desire that they would not deny Christ. They would not deny Christ. And so even if they didn't understand how Jesus... Jesus fit in with the tabernacle of David and how the key of the tabernacle of David is fulfilled in the life. Even if they didn't understand this, when they were challenged in their faith, they would not recant. They were willing to suffer for what they believed. That ought to be an inspiration to all of us to toughen up a little bit. Can I have a big amen? All right, so moving along quickly. Uh, willing to suffer for Christ. And we see that, Luke 14, 27. We also see uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 12. We may be ridiculed and the like, but we will stand strong in our faith. And number three, this I think is the most important, the most important in understanding what it means to be a disciple is we are willing to forsake all to follow Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus must be the king of our lives. Jesus must be the Lord of our lives and nothing can take precedent over him. You see that Luke 14 verse number 33. This high cost of being willing to put everything else in its proper place, everything else secondary for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, I think if you want to sum it up in a sentence, sum it up in that sentence. I've counted everything a loss that I might win Christ. That's what I think is a nutshell definition of what it means to be a Christian. Now, we can, we, we can make many errors along the way, and, and we do. Um, we can sometimes have our zeal in the wrong area, and, and we do. We, we can misunderstand what it means to, to, to see something or do something or manifest something, and, and we make those mistakes. But at the end of the day, as we are continually convicted by the Spirit, as the Word is continually opened up in our life, we are drawn back into this, I want to be a Jesus follower. I want my life in some way to resonate, like, like a string on an instrument that's plucked, and uh, another string, maybe in the same room, is, resonates with it, even though they're not connecting, even though they're not not touching when this one resonates, this one resonates. I think there's some reward. There's some point to all of this order of our lives and all of this style of our, our service and all of the, the formal uh, religiosity of it all. It comes back to this right here. I have forsaken the loss of all things that I might win Christ. Yeah. Or like Peter said, when Jesus said, you know, Peter, I know I've offended the crowd. They've all left. I just wanted to let you know that you, you can leave too, Peter. And Peter, also offended, also astonished why Jesus would ask him to break one of the laws of his faith, to eat flesh and drink blood. He says this in his confusion and in his, I don't know what's going on, and in his, who knows, he says this, where would we go? You have the words you get it? You have the words of eternal life. Where would I go? 
There are rewards, and I'm just going to touch these very quickly. Uh, God's promise that you will not suffer any loss that he does not multiply and repay you. So don't count your losses too closely because he's keeping track in heaven and he will repay you. There are blessings on this earth in the here and now that we receive from centering our lives upon him. He offers a peace that the world cannot calm. He offers a joy that the world cannot comprehend. He offers to those who follow him the love of God, the abiding love of God, which does what? It casts out all fear. And there's scriptures for all of these. He makes it possible for us to be members, and this is the the moment of divine adoption. He makes it possible for us to be members of the family of God. We become members of the family of God. And so, just limiting ourselves to the words of the scripture, just using this sacred book, these are the foundation stones where we, we stand, what it means to be Jesus followers. Now, some people having heard that, they think it's, I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to, okay, I, I get that. I, I, I'm abiding the word. Uh, you know, bear much fruit, love, love people. I, I, where do I start? I want, you to, I want you to understand something. This is the point. This, this element of the mysterious nature of it all. This is the point where you are, you create something with your life. You follow after him. You, like Abraham, seek a city whose builder and maker is God. You pursue him in the shadows and in the, 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 the sunlight of your life, you, you spend time in his presence and you ask yourself, not, am I a Christian? But what would Jesus do? Yeah. And then we try in some way to manifest that in our lives. Everything else that you might apply to your life, it, it all may have value, it all may be good. That's, but these are the words of Jesus defining what it means to be a Jesus follower. And so I think it's only appropriate that we start with the words of Jesus. We start with what it means to him. It can mean many things to many people, but what does it mean to, to him? We're going to be a, we're going to abide in his words. We're going to be a doer of those words. We're going to manifest love and acceptance to brethren, even the flawed brethren. <laughs> Christ said, as I have loved you. And finally, we're going to try to bear much fruit. We're going to try to make it all mean something. Let's all stand all across the building. I'd like us to pray together before we leave. Would you, would you step out of the chair you're in right now and let's come down here to the front um, and let's just stand together for a moment in his presence. I, 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 have, I, have, I have a desire in my life to do a better job of, of following after Jesus. Uh, than I than I ever have, and uh, I don't want to I don't want to just pretend like say that flippantly because that means something. Um, it's not just about you know getting a card punched. It's not about uh, following a formula. It's not about uh, you know letting someone else define what it means. It's it's really it's it's an offering unto the Lord. It's a, it's an offering to the Lord. Your life becomes an act of spiritual creation that gives glory to God in heaven. Worship. 
and gives glory to God on earth, witness your life. What will you use your life to do to honor what God has done for you? Don't, don't simply look to a preacher to give you a formula. What have you been given? What can you give to God? What is in you? Do you see? Do you see? Lord Jesus, we're standing here in your house and we all of us have, we have a long way to go. We get that, Lord. But we also have a desire to, to please you with our lives. Lord Jesus, we want, to, we want to make an offering of our life to you. We, want, we, we all of us are, are unique and we all of us have different abilities and talents. Lord Jesus, we don't want to simply have a, a, a form of, of, of all of this religiosity. We don't just a, an image of it or a label of it. We want to follow in your way. We want to consider your words. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for me in my context? What does that mean for me with my set of friends and influences? What does it mean for me to manifest Christ? I know I can condemn the world, but can I love the world? I know I can condemn the sinner, but can I love the sinner? What does it mean for me to follow in your footsteps? What does it mean for me to pick up a cross of redemptive purpose where my life will be spent in order that someone else is my live? What does that mean? Lord Jesus, speak to us. Speak to us in our hearts. Speak to us in our spirits. Challenge us, challenge us Lord Jesus, to take a step challenge us Lord Jesus to make a difference challenge us Lord Jesus to hear your voice and respond to it and bear much fruit in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name we pray in Jesus name we pray thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte if this podcast has blessed you please rate it with four or five stars by doing so you will help others find our free podcast and bless them if you're in the Charlotte North Carolina area come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.